Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. I, as always, hope you're well. Wouldn't it be amazing if one of these times I'm just like, I hope you're shit, <laughs> I hate you. Uh, but no, I hope you're well and I uh, I am okay. I've had, had a bit of an odd, stressful, emotional week. Um, just not only because of what's going on in the world, but also just some personal frustrations with being a woman. I um, I found myself yesterday morning having a big old cry, which I never do because I'm English and uh, also just a very damaged robot. Um, But I had a big old cry for almost an hour about just how much I hate being a woman sometimes. Obviously, that's just a passing moment um, and not one I encourage because I love women. I think women are magical. But also, I think it's okay to talk about. I think we should be able to talk about it. But sometimes it just gets too much. The double standards, the misogyny, the rampant hypocrisy, like just the unkindness, the traps that are built to set us up, you know, like just how much extra homework we're given, all the lies that we're told, all the information that's held back from us, all the blame, the shame, like just, just take a second, just, because it's a lot and I, and I I know it's not positive thinking to bring that up, but I also think sometimes we need to look at it in order to be galvanised to fight it and to change it. And it's okay to sometimes just be really fucked off with all of it and just really like, how is this, po- how is this still happening? But also, oh, my life would have been so much easier if I'd been a man. Not to say that men don't have their own things and the patriarchy hasn't done a number on them and it must be awful to not be able to ever express yourself and have all these different types of weird pressures and shame, but it's definitely an easier ride. So... I don't know why I've told you that, but I think it's really important to not present myself as, you know, having it together now. You know, I know I talk a lot about my past and all the troubles I've had, but I don't know if I often open up to you about my kind of moments of struggle these days. And so I thought I'd just tell you that if you ever feel like that, you're not a bad feminist. You're not a bad person. You're not losing the fight. You know, sometimes it's okay to just be a bit worn down. And so take some time. I took a day off from feminism, and just sat in my bed, basically con- completed Netflix, ate a rice bowl and recovered. And I think taking time to recover from patriarchy, it's really important because we spend so much time fighting it, even when we're not intentionally doing so. Just surviving in this world is fighting patriarchy. So well done to you and have a much needed break. One of the ways in which I was frustrated this week was because I was included in this wonderful uh, exhibition of feminists throughout history at the British Library, which is a huge honour. It's such an extraordinary historical institution in England. And I was there, you know, amongst some of the all-time greats. uh, But I was there, obviously, as a newcomer, especially considering I'm not dead. So we don't yet know what I will go on to achieve. And a couple of sort of intellectuals, online with verified blue ticks on Twitter questioned my ability to be there, especially because, you know, they see me as more of a an 
I don't know, like a pop culture figure rather than someone who's actually made any meaningful efforts towards women and who's actually achieved anything. And these people obviously have never actually investigated what I've done. They've read a couple of Daily Mail headlines or they see how many followers I have or what I wear on the red carpet and they've just made an assumption. And so I did something I haven't really done before, you know, because I've naturally been quite an apologetic person and because I have made mistakes, I always accept people dismissing me and undermining me as like, oh, it's because I made that mistake that time. So I've misrepresented myself. This is my fault, you know, or I have to prove myself more. And finally this week, I was just a bit like, fuck it. I've done some really great shit that I'm really proud of. And I've never said that. And, you know, I, I don't even know if I can feel actual pride, but I, you know, I've done things that are important and helpful. I'm working on a bunch of bills for the United States of America. I just spoke in Congress. I changed a global policy on Facebook and Instagram uh, to protect minors from being able to see diet and detox ads and cosmetic surgery ads. Like I have created a mainstream global conversation around the dangers of eating disorder, rhetoric and products and irresponsible celebrities. Like I, I know I am imperfect and I know I make mistakes and I know I can be clumsy and I don't have a, a clean past, but I'm fucking trying. And I'm doing something. And I'm so sick of people who aren't doing anything near as much as I am. Just critiquing me. You know, as Dr. Ibram Kendi said, armchair experts, you know, sitting there critiquing my efforts. We do this so much to women and then we teach women to do it to themselves. We, we erase all of the good they do because of the minor mistakes that they make. We just kind of erase their history. And we do it to discourage them from ever fulfilling their potential. And I'm damned if I'm going to continue to let that happen. The amount of times I've questioned whether I should keep going because have I made too many mistakes to keep going? Have I, have I run out? No, I haven't. Until we're dead, we have not run out of time to change, to become better, to learn more, to help people. Don't ever let someone discourage you from your journey while you are still alive. You always have time. And they don't want us to become powerful. They don't want us. A lot of these people are men or misogynist women who are questioning my, my ability to be in this exhibition. I'm only 34. I'm not even done yet. You don't even know what I'm capable of. And you are trying to diminish my existence and my achievement before I've even completed the task. Is this helpful? We do this all the time. We do this to ourselves and we mostly do it to other women, either in the public eye or in activism spaces. What's the goal here? What do we think we're going to achieve by telling everyone not to bother unless they make no mistakes? So just, I ended up doing a big old brag on Instagram and Twitter about the reasons that I've been included in that exhibition in spite of the fact that I've made mistakes before. And it led to a huge online reaction and so many people saying, wow, it's amazing to see a woman actually sort of stand up for herself, but mostly just talk about the good things that she's done to brag a little bit. And it made me remember something that Shonda Rhimes once said on stage in front of, you know, all of us, which is that women don't brag enough. We are taught to never brag. We just sort of, you know, wait for other people to notice what is great about us and accept it if they don't. And that's bullshit. And it's damaging to the jobs that we get. We don't put ourselves up for jobs that men put themselves up for, even though we're both sometimes underqualified. It changes the promotions that we might get. It harms ourselves you know, self-image, our, our self-esteem. So it's vital that we start to brag a little bit. She then went on to brag that she, in spite of being a black woman who is, you know, in her 40s, is the highest paid showrunner in the world. 
Now, it doesn't matter. I'm aware that that's not everyone's goal, but the point is, is that that is an incredible and historical achievement that she has made there. And she's bragging about it. So I hope today you will take a little opportunity after you've listened to this podcast to have a little brag, write something down. It doesn't have to be an award. It doesn't, you don't have to have made history. You might have just survived something. You might just have not murdered anyone this year, even though you've wanted to, because <laughs> it's been really hard to be in lockdown since March. Uh, it might be something that you've overcome or con- are continuing to overcome, even though it's really hard. It might be just getting out of bed or brushing your teeth. But congratulate yourself, because patriarchy sure as shit isn't going to. And I don't want that to lead the way that we think and val- think about and value ourselves. So have a brag. I did a brag. I don't feel bad about it. I actually feel really good about it. It's actually really nice to write down the things that are that you have done that are admirable, that you would admire in another person and things you feel proud about yourself for. Anyway, I'm I'm ranting. I'm on a rant. But sometimes my feelings just get the better of me. And this is one of those weeks. Now, a woman who is in the public eye, who I really admire and like, is on this podcast today. And I think she's a real beacon of hope and has been for a long time of being a realist, of owning what is good and interesting and cool about you, but not in any kind of way that puts people's backs up. She's very frank She's very open, incredibly transparent. Uh, In fact, she has a book that she released uh, called This Will Only Hurt a Little, in which she goes into such uh, tremendous detail about her life, the good and the bad moments. I've looked up to her for a really long time because she was, for, for ages, one of the only women who felt real and relatable and frank and just unwilling to make herself seem dumb or shallow. She'd never played by the rules and I, I guess that's probably why I wanted her to come onto this podcast. I'm talking about Busy Phillips. You will know her as an actress throughout all of Hollywood, as a lot of people's fave. She also had her own late night talk show on E. As I said, she is the the author of This Will Only Hurt a Little, and now she has her own podcast called Busy Phillips is Doing Her Best. I've been watching her for the longest time, and she did not disappoint in just being a transparent, self-assured, and sturdy human being. And she doesn't pretend to be perfect. She doesn't pretend to be unshakable, but she feels really real. And there's this this feeling of strength you get from around her, this, this self-acceptance that she's been working on and building her whole life that makes you want more of that for yourself. She's one of the most unapologetic people I've met in this industry. And I, I hope you will find it interesting to hear about her life and what she's been through in this industry. And, and also about the massive fight that she took on very publicly around abortion. She's someone who advocates for pro-choice and she is someone who herself has had an abortion and just has taken on such a, a risk and a huge amount of stress in order to fight for our rights in that area. She's spoken at Congress before. She's just, she's a good egg. So please enjoy the excellent Busy Phillips. It's only one of my favourite people. I've grown up loving her so much. Busy Phillips, welcome to I Weigh. Hi. 
this is crazy. Yeah, it's so good to see you. It's so good Zoom. to see you. And even though I know you and we're friends and we text, it's still wild to me that you're on my podcast because... Is it? It is. It is. No, because you don't understand because I think I probably played it down when we first, you know, we got to know each other. I think we were shooting like a campaign together or something. But mm-hmm. but I grew up like obsessed with you. Like legitimately, really? totally. I used to, I because I, because uh, you're so funny, and you were one of like in the '90s, very few funny actresses. One of the few women allowed to just be goofy and funny and sarcastic and and real. And so I gravitated towards you for such a long time in all of your movies and and so uh yeah it was I was a big fan and I tried to play that down uh when we met but now well, it's coming you out nail- <laughs> you nailed it I had no idea so yeah. I <laughs> I thank you though that's really that's really sweet it's always nice isn't it funny I'm sure people come up to you and they're like oh my gosh you know whatever effusive I love mm-hmm. you in the good place like you're mm-hmm. my favorite whatever and people always ask is that weird? Yeah. And I was like, no, I have a hole in my soul. It's why I got into this. <laughs> please please well, tell me. <laughs> I'm glad to have deposited some droplets of love <sighs> into that, into, into your God. hole. Let's Needed let that it. be the, Needed it. the sound bite <laughs> filling Busy's <laughs> hole at the beginning of my podcast. Um, oh, <sighs> fuck, you've had a life. I mean, I knew it and I've been kind of witnessing it along because we're not far apart in age, but really just reading about you and when you just see it all written down paragraph upon paragraph, you realise everything that you have been through, everything you've had to stand up for, everything you've had to, every kind of glass ceiling that you've had to smash. Uh, Are you tired? I'm tired from reading it. You all Um, right? (laughs) I think that people really live up to their names. I do. I think, (laughs) I think that, I think that when you name people things, it means something. I'm, I swear to God. And, uh, and I think my parents named me busy and I think that I just, am not going to fucking stop until I'm dead. You know, Mm -hmm. have you always been, have you always just been this kind of vibrant and confident and vivacious and courageous? I mean, in a, in some senses, yes. Um, mm-hmm. In other ways, no. Um, and like many people, I've lost it and had to find it again at times. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And have, you know, and I wrote, a, I wrote a bit about that in my book. But, you know, I think that my driving force and where I exist in sort of the best version of myself is that. Is like going, doing what can we do? How can I do more? What do you, you know, what do you need? It's yeah. not necessarily, although I do love a lying down on a beach, you know, moment. Mm-hmm. Although we mostly know you sweating uh, into the camera during <laughs> yoga sessions online. My Lek Fit, it's called Lek Fit and it's a tr- trampoline workout that I jump on a trampoline and then I do a bunch of leg lifts and arm weights, small weights with things. But I was never like a worky outie person. Um, is that's what they're called, I believe. Yeah, that's a technical or- scientific term. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, you know, early in my career as an actor, I was sort of routinely told to lose weight. And like, ex- uh, were you explicitly told to lose weight? I have been explicitly told to lose weight by a network before. Really? I, how yeah. does that conversation? I've always wanted to know how that conversation goes. Your manager goes. calls you. You're your agent. 
I was told by my agent and obviously like, I mean, an agent that I had, I'm, I'm no longer actually with them because they moved to another agency. But I remember when I got here and I got the part on The Good Place, I was like, oh, am I going to have to be really thin? Like, are they going to expect me to be thin now? And he was like, nah, thin isn't funny. Which isn't true. I mean, lots of thin people are very funny and you know, right. plenty of... But the point is, is that I got here in 2016 where I think that they got the memo that you're not really allowed to say that out loud to people anymore. Right. I think that what they always... It was always code. You know what I mean? Like, like all of these things, like the way that, uh, you know, the current president has his code to white supremacists, you know, <laughs> yeah. the way that it's... and and. And those codes are the things that uphold these systems of oppression, right? So, like, things were said, like, you know what? Everyone just wants you to feel your best. <laughs> Everyone. Bastards. Right? That was one thing that was said to me once. Everybody just wants you to feel your best. So, you know, I think that it could be, like, some more training, maybe. Or do you, have you ever done, like, a meal delivery service? Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. But then the one time I was explicitly told I had booked a pilot, I was super excited. I even, um, this is, I always do this on, on my podcast. I do like a Hollywood break for listeners when I'm like, I'm about to tell you something that this is how people get jobs. I had done the test, the network and the studio and then the network test, which yeah. is where you're up against another actor and you go in and audition in front of all the executives and then they decide who gets the part. And mm -hmm. at the network test they sent the rest of the girls home I think it was two other girls that were there and then brought me back in and told me in the room which like it rarely happens and mm -hmm. I was so excited and then I got back to my apartment 30 minutes later the phone rang <laughs> my agents and managers congratulating me and then they're like so biz we did talk to I can't remember who now at the network. And the feeling was like, you're that you look great. They love you. You're great. And, you know, I think that it was my manager. Actually, my agent wasn't on this call. Um, I think that it would be uh, probably advantageous for you before we do the pilot to lose some weight. And I was like, oh, oh shit. This is the call. Oh, okay. Cause I had been like, sneakily told told in code for year for several years before that but this was like the actual you're losing weight and I said well I need a number I don't know why <laughs> I was like how how much what are we talking yeah and he's Fuck. like uh I I I I don't know I, I don't know busy and I was like well tell them I need a number tell them that if they want me to lose 10 pounds, I need to know. If they want me to lose 20 pounds, I need to know. And like, it wasn't even at the time. This is like in retrospect. So I was... Uh, such was, a, yeah, it's such, a, it's such a wild response, isn't it? It's like a jump, how high, how many times? But that's what we were conditioned to think totally. our responsibility was. Yeah. Oh my God. I never for one second was like, well, this is super fucked up. I mean, I obviously was thinking that, but I was... But, my, but what I was saying to my representation was... Uh, okay. So how much, what do I have? What I've got, I think we're shooting the pilot in three weeks or four weeks. So I just need to know what I have to do. And I was like, will they pay for a, will they pay for a trainer? Are they going to pay for a meal delivery? Like what, what's, what's the deal? 
Yeah. I I mean, look, we were all normalised to think that that was a correct conversation. And any time we weren't having that conversation, it was a miracle and we'd fooled people into thinking that we're thin enough to be allowed to live. Uh, And I remember whenever I would have photo shoots, I would think it was completely normal. And by the way, other people would applaud this and nod as if it wasn't problematic. I would start starving myself two or three weeks before any given like photo shoot or cover shoot. And I just thought that was normal. I've destroyed my metabolism because of this like yo-yoing for a job. And in Mm -hmm. fact, like I've had conversations with some of the most famous actresses in the world who told me that they still starve themselves before every single press tour. Because if you don't, you can't wear nice designer clothes that are going to get you press for the film. And so you have to starve yourself for like two months before Oscar. I mean, you and I both know what it's like before awards season. Everyone stops eating in October. (laughs) The awards are in like late January. Everyone's so hungry by the time we get to the Golden Globes. They're so angry and hungry. I think every time that, I mean, that is true. Like people are just, they are really, they really take it seriously getting in those dresses. I think it's why they cry so much when they win. It's like, oh my God, it's over. I can eat. (laughs) (laughs) Just sob through that in and out afterwards. And it's funny, but it's also not funny because it's also the reality of this is what bleeds out into our culture and into our society. Yeah, that's insane. Did they ever come back to you with a number? I don't know if he ever, I can't remember that part. I remember just being like, okay, I was devastated. I mean, yeah. I, I remember hanging up and like so- sobbing into my sofa, my beautiful red and gold sofa that I loved <laughs> so much. Um, did you have eating disorder issues or body image issues like in your early career? I mean, you know, it's interesting. I feel like for all the messages I was being given, I sort of, I I don't know, Jamila, I I was born in 1979. So I don't know one woman who was born between seven, you know, between like whatever, 1975 and 1990 that didn't have some sort of bizarro messed up idea of food, women's bodies, what your worth being tied to your body, um, what it meant if you were not and you know, quote unquote, ideal body. Oh, sh- you want to hear a crazy full circle moment? Mm-hmm. Speaking Always. of, we did that airy thing together. I love the brands that I work with and, um, and I'm really specific about the brands that I work with because just even posting on Instagram or, you know, the campaigns I've been lucky enough to be a part of. And I've worked with Olay for two years and I love Olay and they have a no airbrushing policy Mm. on it's the Olay skin promise and they don't airbrush us at all. Of course I'm getting like mask knee, you know, like how everyone's getting from their masks. (laughs) I was like, of course I'm going to like do this new campaign with mask knee, but listen guys, it is it's what it skin. is. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I and I do I use that Olay SPF. I use the moisturizer. So anyway, uh but we were sitting on set and I was like, this is so empowering. Like I I love that they that you've instituted this. This was last year. I love that you guys have made this commitment and I love the all of the women that you choose to represent your brand because it's so diverse and it's women of all, you know, every different kinds of woman represented person represented really in their campaigns. And I was like, this stuff is just really refreshing. I was talking to the woman who runs the ad agency who is in charge of this. And she's like a brilliant creative. 
I was like, everything about this is so empowering, especially for me with my two girls. You know, when I was little, I had, when I was a teenager, I had the Calvin Klein Kate Moss ad taped up in my bedroom. And I was like, I'll never look like I, that's what I want. That was my aspiration. And I just hated that my stomach didn't do that. Mm. That my stomach like wasn't flat, never could get it to look like that. My hips, I was like, what are these hips? I can't wear the boy underwear. And it was like the thing that wormed into my head so much so that my husband at one point in the last several years was like, you're so obsessed with your stomach. He's like, babe, like your stomach is incredible. You birthed our two kids, (laughs) like, come on, you know, whatever. Yeah. And And I was like, oh, yeah, I got to let the stomach thing go. I think it's from Kate Moss from those ads. Mm -hmm. And the woman looked at me like sort of sheepishly. And she's like, that was my agency at the time. We did those ads. And Mm. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. well, full circle for you, too. Like, we all do better. You know what I mean? Like, we all work toward doing better at all of it. And yeah. what we put, and we realize the impact that, of the stuff that we put into the world, whether it's ads or the television that we're on or whatever, you know? Yeah. I talk about this a lot when it comes to airbrushing, that it's not just about the fact that actresses and influencers and mostly advertisers, the fact that people sell makeup and anti-aging cream and, and uh, skincare products and anti-stretch mark, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And they airbrush those things. That is literal false advertising. I can't believe it's even legal. So that's disgusting. I think when those of us with privilege and with big platforms participate in it, it's problematic. Uh, I understand that it's also born from the fact that we are so scrutinized. So I can understand the desire to not want to be bullied the way that we tend to bully in particular women who show off any quote unquote imperfection. But that oh my is, God, I've it, posted photos before and people have commented like, you think that's hot or like that's, yeah. oh, that's your best pick or whatever. I I'm know. like, fuck you. Exactly. So I understand like the urge to Photoshop, but it doesn't change the fact that it is problematic. It is irresponsible. It is better to show if we are the standard, we should show what the standard actually is rather than make people live up to unrealistic ideals. But then also you have people who are airbrushing themselves and that is harming them. Because when we live up to, it's not just about who's seeing your photoshopped images or your airbrushed image. It's about what you are seeing. When you look in the mirror, you are now comparing yourself to an AI image, to a digitally enhanced image, which none of us can live up to. None of us can live up to a fucking filter. And so we harm ourselves when we participate in it. And that's why there's this boom of Botox and like surgery and threading and, and all these painful and potentially quite dangerous things that we're doing to try and look like a fucking computerized image. It's insane. insane. Yeah, it is. Uh, It's also, by the way, in my contract. Yeah. In my contract with Olay that I can't have Botox or filler or anything, which I've not done ever anyway. I'm very excited to see your mask knee Olay campaign. I think it's going to be really revolutionary. (laughs) To be honest though, I am, I am like, I am so, you know, I'm so hard on myself, right? It's literally one. It's like a pimple. It's like, tiny little, (laughs) there's not, I mean, you're going to look at it and be like, fuck you, like busy, shut up, you know, fine. I get it. But we're taught to over scrutinize ourselves. I understand. I see it. So, okay. So, so within this industry, in spite of the fact that you were being constantly sort of like, what is the equivalent of dog whistling, like fat whistled, like you were being 
fat whistled, thin mm. whistled, but you were whistled generally. So you were able to maintain a fairly sturdy relationship with food and I with your think body. That that's, I think that's a question probably for the people that live with me or <laughs> had to live with me at the time. I mean, I don't know. I, no, I, I think I've gone through periods of time. I think that like, I think, okay, okay. I think it's really complicated, obviously, but I think my overall confidence and, and self-assuredness is stands alone with, from my body and that like my, my own self-worth is not necessarily tied to my body. However, I will say that if I have had, and when I have had moments of feeling either I've been fat shamed by a job or, you know, right after I had my daughter, um, my first daughter, uh, and it was that I lost a job because the this network said I was too big. Fuck off. Um, After you'd given birth? Yeah, it was it was literally like devastating. It was devastating. I like I can't even. So that's in my book too. Um, but I just, you know, was so like, oh well, you know, that's it. I guess I'm never never going to work again. Um, I have, I have had like the body thing affect me and my self-esteem, but I think that honestly, the, through the lens of having these two girls and raising these two girls in the last 12 years, which is wild that I've been a mother for 12 years, (laughs) I made early on with Birdie, I, realized and noticed that the the things that the moms would say about themselves to each other around the the little girls was really like they're always listening to you and especially Birdie was <laughs> Birdie was like preternaturally verbal no shit mm-hmm. <laughs> she's my kid but she was like incredibly verbal and very astute. She still is. Yeah. She's like 12. You, she could be on your podcast, like, you know, <laughs> but, um, but I just realized like the things that women were saying, even in, even to, even joking about themselves, pool parties in the summer for kids, birthday parties, like, oh, you can't get me in a bikini. Oh no. Like I, oh, I don't swim, you know, like yeah, if I, if I stuff. eat this cake, I'll have to run 10 miles tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Oh, I'm not even kidding you. Jamila, my friend called me because her daughter is in a younger grade than my daughter and she had taken her to a birthday party. This was like a year ago, pre-COVID, mm-hmm. before times, had taken her daughter to a birthday party and the mom brought out the pizzas all came for the lunch for the little for the little girls. And my friend went to go get the pizza and she's like, oh, no, no, they're salad for the moms. Oh, fuck's sake. I mean, what year is this? What? I know. And my friend my friend was like, actually, moms eat pizza too, right? You know, like as loud as possible for the kids yes. to hear. Yeah. That's yeah. so damaging. It's so amazing how much we forget that they are just sponges. They're sponges with heartbeats. That's well, all they so, are until they're about 13. So even if I can am can be a bit of a hypocrite myself. You do it privately, in, like a real mother. Yeah. I do it privately. That's right. Private, have, hypocr- like, hi- private hypocrisy is the best kind. Because I, I can't, 
I can't do that to them. No, it's like, so responsible. Thought- so is it also like a motivation for you to heal from the inside out? Yes. So that it even like, so that you walk the walk so that it doesn't even accidentally slip out of you. So that it is you panicking in Spanx before an event or something and think that fat is worth I've like panicking let that over. Go. Yeah. yeah, right. I And I actually have to say, you know, I do think a lot of times fake it till you make it is, is uh dangerous um mm-hmm. <laughs> because i think okay uh but i think that in in this instance when we've been so conditioned and so trained fake it till you make it has actually worked for me which was that i consciously made a decision based on not wanting to do the same mind fuckery to my little people and and i told the person i live with my partner mark I need you to hold me accountable to this thing. And if I, if we're in our bedroom at night together and I want to fucking cry about it, like that's one thing. But if you ever, like if we're in front of the girls, if I'm in front of a mirror, if like. You need a safe word. Yeah. Yes. 100%. Yeah. 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 I think that's really great. That's such a great thing to say to your partner or to your flatmate or whoever you live with, just to hold me accountable. I've definitely. Hold me accountable. Yeah. I did that with my boyfriend when I first met him. I was just like, if you see me weighing myself, this is before I'd throw my scales out, but like, if you see me weighing myself, I threw my scales out. Yeah. 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 Um, But I, you know, I told him that I have an issue and that I tend to snack rather than eat meals. And like, if I have a big job coming out, just like, just, just look out for this. These are the signs that I've developed an issue and this is what I'll need you to do. Uh, and so I, it helped us. It helps everything to, and to have somebody who understands, but now here's the thing, like it has to be the right partner, obviously. Right. Like, Agreed. You can't have, yeah. like it's, this is, this is where everything is dicey and like you have to do your own therapy and you have to know what works for you. But, um, you know, I feel like the fake it till you make it has really wormed its way into my brain so well that I really do. I do sort of move through the world. We, I am starting a new TV show, which is wild because I never thought I was going to act again, <laughs> but I'm doing this show. I mean, not because I, I just didn't want to. I didn't think I, I was like, Ugh, I don't want to do that. No. Um, but now I'm doing it because I, it's hilarious and I'm excited about it. And I went to my wardrobe fitting and the woman, you know, we're playing like nineties pop stars and people in the like current day. And she's putting like the nineties pop star outfit. On oh, me. like hipsters and like cami vests and the whole thing. Uh-huh. Yes. The whole thing. And I know that previously in my life, this kind of fitting would have caused me to have like a throw up panic attack, you know, like, like what mean thing is going to happen, how everything's going to not fit. They're going to look at me and scrutinize me and whatever. And I sort of was like, oh, that's too small. Nope. These jeans aren't even getting, you know, like not in a, not in like a. No, you're factual now. I was just like, this is fine. I'm fine. I have nothing attached to the fact that those jeans are too small. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because also there was a pair of workout pants that were too big. Like I just, I had more of an ability to regulate my brain in terms of what that, what it all meant. Whereas. Also it comes with time and wisdom, the ability that like the world needs to fit me. Clothes need to fit me. I don't always have to fit the world and I don't have to fit all clothes. 
Like the idea Correct. that like the idea that material is supposed to be our boss or our leader is fucking insane. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> I'm so much better than material. <laughs> Apart from Kashmir. Kashmir is better than me, but it's stretchy, so it's fine. Um but yeah, it's uh it's it's so odd. Um you I don't think, you know, I, you've spoken about this before. I think you've even, you know, you've mentioned it multiple times, but, you know, you were known, especially when I was growing up as the kind of the best friend in everything. And I think that's why I loved you so much because I felt so like I could relate to you. You were the one who got to be funny, like when the main, you know, whatever, the ingenue had to kind of be cute or uh, the... I don't know, I guess like a man, the patriarchal gay is of what like a woman is supposed to be. The best friend characters are always able to be the like smart, sassy, cool one with like an interesting mm-hmm. backstory whose life isn't <laughs> dominated by a man or trying to please a man or get a man or throw a man away. Uh, you know, you're the voice of sense. And so, you know, even when I got into Hollywood, my agents have all just been like consistently trying to put me up for the main role and everything. And I'm like, please, I just want to be the best friend. I just want to be, my dream is to just be the best friend for the rest of my life. I never want to be the main star. I want to be the, because I've always felt like that was the most interesting, cool role. Um, and so I think because of that, I got to see how smart and funny you were from the second you came out into Hollywood. Um, That's but, nice. <laughs> but was that, was that ever frustrating to you being in that role? Because it's the role I love the most, but I, I just wonder. I mean... I how old how I'm like how, how old are how old were you when you like Kate you're you're when I came here older. yeah I was 30 I was like fucking yeah. like a dinosaur compared so, to everyone else right uh, well I mean yes and no I, no I, I mean, mean so I com- think that starting compared to women starting out like men start right. out in their 30s but women rarely sure. get to yeah um I was 19 so you know, I think, I think everything that you're saying makes sense in terms of, you know, all of life, life is just perspective and experience. hundred percent. So, so I think when I was starting out in 1998, 99, uh, I had different, yeah, ideas about the things I wanted to do, but that was, that was informed by the parameters of the industry that I was working in at the time, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So like, and I didn't, I couldn't imagine anything other than just being an actor for hire and be, and a woman, an actress for hire, a young woman. Uh, And so I felt really like hemmed in by what was available to me. Yeah. And, you know, I, yeah, I think that there was a part of me that really wanted to be Rachel McAdams, you know, like, right. I, I like I auditioned for the notebook. Like I remember auditioning for the notebook. <laughs> or like, You would have been great. By the I way. mean, <laughs> it would have been a totally different fucking movie. That's uh, for sure. I really thought I was going to be a dramatic actress. That's the like great, greatest, that's the greatest Thing surprise. Of time. Yeah. <laughs> surprise of my career. Um, I didn't really know. I didn't really understand that I was funny. I have to be honest. I just, I thought I was just like destined for movie stardom and like, and the Oscars, you know, yeah, that Aaron Brockovich role teenager. that's going to, yeah, the, yeah. The, the Academy Award winning performance. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I remember getting 
white chicks and being bummed out that when I got the script that my character, they had sort of exited out in the sides for the audition. But my character was like their overweight friend. And I was like, what? And I didn't know. I thought that which is probably why I got the part. I, I thought I was just like, a like human. a cute, cute yeah. girl. I didn't know that that was part of the thing. And then they were like, well, that's not, I mean, you know, that was just, I was like, well, I mean, okay. Um, so I remember, you know, like, yes, I definitely. And then, you know, once I started getting like offered pilots for TV shows that where I was sort of more the, where I was the lead and, um, none of those went to series. <laughs> and then, um, and then I had birdie and I lost that part, the lead, like it, which was like the, the love interest and the lead of a show, um, opposite a dude, but whatever. And, uh, because I was too overweight for the network. And then I was just devastated. And I, um, and I was 29 years old and, uh, I went into my agency and I had, they like, there was like a big meeting of all the television agents or whatever. And I said, pilot season was coming up, you know? And I said, I just want to be number two on a call sheet. I just want to be someone's best friend and just like, and I want it to be, I want number one to be some like a big star and the show's definitely going to get picked up because I need money and, and I need to fucking work. And, and then they sent me some scripts when they started coming in and I read Cougar Town and it was Courtney Cox was starring in it. And I was like, great, this is the show I'm going to get. I'm going to get this show. And I went into audition. I had to audition for it and went in and went to network and studio and everything. And I, and I got it. And the night, actually like the night I read the script, I hadn't even auditioned yet. And we went, Mark and I went out to dinner and we saw the guy who was then the head of ABC. I can't remember his name. And uh, and I was like, oh, should I go over? <laughs> I didn't know him. I was like, oh, should I go over and tell him that I'm going to be cast in Cougar Town? So he should. <laughs> and Mark was like, no, don't. What? You haven't even, honey, calm down. You haven't even, I don't want you to get crushed. Like he was like trying to protect me. And I was like, Ugh, you're so annoying. You don't believe in my magical thinking, but this is the show I'm going to do. It's going to be great. <laughs> And I was right, you know. Yeah. Do you have magical thinking? Oh yeah, for sure. Tell me about your magical thinking. I mean, I just have like, I have like when I can tap into a thing, I just like fucking know. I just have a, I'm just. Wait, what is the thing though? Know. Is this a lottery ticket thing? Can I have it? Can I have one? It's, it's your intuition. It's just like, <laughs> it's like being, it's like being the most open you can be to like, whatever the next move is in the universe for you. For instance, yeah. Jamila, mm -hmm. we were in Los Angeles in August and I was like, this is not right. I'm feeling really uncomfortable. Like we're not, mm -hmm. we shouldn't be here. We just shouldn't be here. And Mark was like, well, where do you want to go? I was like, I don't know. Let's try to rent a house in Malibu. Well, they're really expensive by the way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also, and so, and we kept, like trying to offer less money and no one would take it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then the fire started and, and I was just, fee I don't even know how to describe it. I just was like, I can't, we can't stay here. We just can't stay here. And we, 
the fire started. I was having a hard time. Like on Friday, on a Friday at 6 PM, I said to him, I was like, it's New York. We have to go to New York, right? Like we have to go to New York immediately. And he looked and he found this and he's like, okay, but what a place that can take a dog and she's never flown. I'm like, it's going to be fine. We're going to go to New York. It's going to be fine for three weeks. We got to go to New York. And he's like, okay. He knows me well enough now at this point where he's like, if you feel this strongly about something, we have to see this through because like like, we don't know. I'm like that with my boyfriend. I feel like I'm dating Lassie. Like whenever he says he has a feeling about something, I'm like, okay, we're off. We're going. Oh, okay. So right. You want to go to the moon right now? I'm with you. I'm packing up. I'm putting my shoes on my underpants right now. I I mean, credit to Mark Silverstein, my husband, he like fully found this, you know, apartment to rent for three weeks. Um, and like got us a flight and 48 hours later we were in New York city and I felt immediately felt better. And like the girls were really excited to be here and week two, Tina Faye was a guest on my podcast. It hasn't aired yet, but, um, she was like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Cause she was an executive producer on my talk show, on my Lena show. Mm-hmm. And I had done a failed pilot for her for NBC the year before a comedy pilot that didn't get picked up. And um, so we've worked together and we're friends. So she's like, why are you here? I was like, I don't know, dude, I just had to get out. I just felt like LA was not for us right now. And we're here. I'm kind of looking at houses upstate. Like just, I don't know what it is. I just can't be there. And two days later, she called me and she's like, this is going to sound so crazy. We're starting a TV show on October 19th. Honestly, we always talked about you for this part, but because you live in LA and it's COVID and your kids are in school. It didn't seem feasible for you to come here to do it, but you're here. I would never have offered this to you, but you're here. Do you want to do this? And I was like, what is it? And she's like, oh, oh, it's, um, it's about a nineties girl group who, uh, decides to try to stage a comeback in their forties. And I was like, you mean like my dream in life? And she's like, (laughs) I was like, am I, am I baby spice? Cause if I'm fucking baby spice, I'm going to pass out. And she's like, yeah, I mean, yes, that's like essentially who you are in the group. And it's Sarah Bareilles and Renee Elise Goldsberry from Hamilton. And I was like, I know who she is. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And she's like, and if you want to do it, yeah, we start shooting. It's picked up for eight episodes. It'll take us through the end of February. It's here. We're f- I was like, are you at what? And I went home and like, literally Mark was like, see, I don't know. You did it. Like, this is what you do. Okay. We're here. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so amazing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh. And, the, and it was the same thing with Cougar Town. I read the script and I was like, I'm doing this. I'm doing this show. This is a show I'm doing. Yeah. And Mark was like, okay, hold your horses. And I was like, no, no, no. That's good. We're going to be good. Does it only work for you? Or like, I don't know, <laughs> if let's just ask him for a friend. If I was to call you and I, I need some <laughs> advice, does, would you be would you be able to help? I think that the help that I can offer anyone truly is that you have to really start to get good at listening to yourself and to like what it is that you want and what it is that you need. And those two things, not to be reductive, but you know, they can often be different. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've, I've definitely had big moments like that. I mean, leaving England at 29 and starting a career in America was uh, an insane thing to do. And everyone was like, no, you're too old and you're too fat and you're too South Asian. Don't, don't go there. They won't want you. And I went anyway. And then, you know, life has gone just fine. 
for the last four exactly. years. Yeah. That's so, right. Yeah. Exactly. I don't listen to myself enough. I definitely need to do that more. Maybe I should start meditating. Maybe that'll help. Um, I don't even know. Like, I mean, I don't know. People are like, meditate. Okay, fine. I tried it for like three weeks. I got bored. I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm you the know? same. I'm the same. I've got too much ADD. I can't, I can't, I can't focus. All right. Okay. So I haven't got you for long. So I need to just power through so much about you. Um, so, <laughs> but I, I love that story and I agree. And while not everyone, of course, has the money to, move from England to Los Angeles or move from Los Angeles to New York. We are very lucky to be able to do that. But I think the lesson there is follow your gut. And especially as a woman, understand that our intuition is so strong because it's been designed to keep us safe. So please feel free to listen to it, even if it means you are daring to be self-preservational. Yeah. And How even if it you? means that someone might think you're rude. Exactly. That's what or, I mean. Or, right, right. No, but like, yes, or, you know. Demanding the, or whatever. Demanding, right? Yeah, yeah. Demand. I think that be safe, be happy, demand. And also, I mean, it also just like this comes into play with health stuff too. Like, you know, in this country, women, especially women of color, are just not taken seriously yeah. in hospitals. That's why the maternal mortality rate is abysmal. It's it and one of the things that I just know for certain from all of the work that I've done is that advocating for yourself is really difficult, especially for American women and um, especially for all women. And uh, but if you have that feeling, you have to just keep at it, like to the point where someone has to like you know, hold you back, you know, because Mm -hmm. you can't ignore that. You can't allow that feeling to be suppressed. Yeah. And that's the thing the patriarchy like does to all of us, right? Since we were born Mm -hmm. is tell you like what you're feeling and what you're thinking is not valid. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. 
From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Speaking of patriarchy um, (laughs) and following your instincts, uh, you and I last year, not together, separately, decided to speak out about having had abortions when we were younger and it's something that put both of us in quite quite a few quite a few big firing lines I was on the cover of Breitbart for about six months uh, I feel like and uh, was being trolled heavily but you made an incredibly brave decision to talk about it and you talked about it on your own show your own late night show and you spoke about it in the press and you went to congress and you uh fought for reproductive rights of people in america and i wanted to ask you first of all thank you for that but i also wanted to ask you about it if you don't mind i know you've spoken about it a million times but with everything being so under threat right now and in jeopardy. I feel like it's such an important time to keep having this conversation and normalise this conversation. And, you know, as we've seen, people are just doubling down on misinformation about abortions and telling people that, you know, oh, depression and anxiety are normally the side effects of having an abortion, whereas statistically, overwhelmingly, it is relief. And so I love that you're willing to talk about it. And I would love to know what happened. I mean, listen, I think that... um Unfortunately, the abortion in this country has become a thing that uh, the right has taken as a thing to like glom onto in order to really activate people emotionally in order to pass a bunch of other really shitty stuff as well. And not that it's not shitty, but I think that for them to try to take away our autonomy and women's right to choose. But the fact of the matter is they're manipulating the narrative consistently. And they have been for over 20 years now um, in order to pass all kinds of other agendas that uphold white supremacy and patriarchy. Well, just, you know, to get people elected that are also anti-gay rights. Yeah. yeah, Also. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like, it's like anti LGBTQIA. It's like, you know, anti-immigrant, anti-immigrant. It's like, it's all of these things. It's racist, basically any like, actually there's a really interesting article in Politico, I think from like 2013, And it's about how Jerry Falwell and the religious right used abortion to try to sneak in their racist segregation um, agenda. You have to read this article. I'm going to send it to you. Okay. And I'll link to it under this episode. You have to link to it. Yeah. And then after um, after Roe was passed, like Jerry Falwell was also seeing that like being 
overtly racist was falling out of favor. And so he was like, but how do we get these people into office? How do we continue our agenda? And he was like, abortion, that's it. And we're going to appeal to people and babies. We're going to make it about babies. And they fucking did it, man. Listen, my daughter and I talk a lot about what happens in terms of the dissemination of information and where it's coming from, especially now with like TikTok and, mm-hmm. you know, everything. And she is really aware, my 12-year-old, my seven-year-old, I don't even know. Was she, she knows. No, I'm kidding. But, like, <laughs> she's on drugs. Younger she's child. on some drugs. No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what she's doing. Yeah. No, but, um, but, uh, But I will say in terms of abortion, the messaging from the other side has been so consistent and scary and loud Mm -hmm. and intimidating for so long. And this is really the point that they had been have been able to get people into offices on the local level, on the statewide level, on, you know, in the Senate and sneak these people in and they started, they have, they began chipping away at women's rights 15 years ago while we were all just like, Rose not in question. There's no way. And bit by bit started passing these trap laws in different cities and countries and counties around this country and started eliminating women's health care altogether. And people become very reductive when they talk about abortion. And they talk about, you know, unwanted pregnancies. And that is definitely, that was what my abortion was. Mm-hmm. I know that's what your abortion was as well. Yeah. How old were you? How old were you when you had yours? You, was, you were a teenager. I was 15, yeah. but... I know women who've had abortions because they didn't want to have a baby at 34. I was I 26. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying like, I, a lot of times people are like, well, you were a teenager. So and I was like, well, okay. But, but still like you can make a decision at any point in your life about your own life and your body and when you want to become a parent or not become a parent. But that, but to me, the part of the problem is that like, we've all been so shamed about this mm. uh, issue because the other side was so loud, so scary. So everybody sort of, we didn't talk about it. Mm. You know, we, no one was open and and talking about it. And, you know, statistically, we know one in four women will have an abortion um, before the age of 40. Uh, but there are so many, it is a legitimate medical procedure. It is a part of women's whole health care. It is, it is a thing that keeps women alive. It is a thing that keeps the maternal mortality rate down. It is a thing that saves lives. And it's a thing that helps uh, women get out of poverty, um, helps people improve the lives of their cho- of their existing children, mm-hmm. of uh, that helps them improve the lives of the children that they haven't yet had, but that they will have. And to be so reductive and um, 
what's the word? It's pro, uh, it's pro birth. It's not pro life. Yes. It's the biggest argument about it. It's not like you're you're fucking on your own as soon as you are out of that womb. God help you, especially if you are then of color or black or if you are gay or trans um, or you are an immigrant crossing over this country. Like we have people in fucking cages at the border. We have ho- a homeless humanitarian crisis. We have now yes. healthcare being threatened and it was already a fucking shit show in this country and now they don't even want you to be able to get any kind of healthcare. But ch- I mean, children are literally starving in literally. this country. Yeah. And so um, they don't care is, about life. And what about the mother's no. life? And what about the mental health of the mother? And like, what about the father? Like, what, I don't know. It's, it's really, it's, so for me, the, so for me, I had written about my abortion in my book. I had thought that was sort of like the beginning, middle and end of me talking about my abortion. And then all of these extreme abortion bans started to pass uh, throughout the United States statewide. And I, all of a sudden, yeah, you know what you want to accuse me of living in my liberal bubble on the left coast at the time. You're right. I fully did because I thought that there was no way that Roe would fall. And I didn't, I wasn't aware of what was happening, truly what was happening to women in our country who many times are in the most rural areas, the poorest communities, um, communities of color where, uh, you know, women's health care clinics are being just taken out, being completely defunded. You know, women aren't being able to get mammograms, checks, and they're not allowed, they're not able to have access to safe abortion care and affordable abortion care. So the extreme abortion bans started passing and I just said to Casey St. Ange, who was my showrunner on Busy Tonight, like, I just want to, I have to talk about my abortion on the show. And she was like, I totally support that. Um, Who should we chat with? I like, I just like went to all of the organizations and I asked what they, what the messaging they wanted, what was important to them Mm -hmm. and how I could be of service because this was the thing that I felt like I wanted to do. And, uh, Ultimately, they all were like, I think speaking from the heart is the best is the best way for you to go. That's how you connect with people. That's how they will connect with you. And we I wrote like a very long thing. And then we Casey was like, I think we keep it short, you know, and we edited it and thought about it. And we were thinking about the timing as well. Like, when did I want to do it? Because I wanted to sort of tie it to something and. I believe it was Elise that said, um, well, you know, uh, Governor Kemp has until May 14th to sign the bill into law in Georgia. So you could wait until then. And now I already knew that my show had been canceled and we were like going off the air May 16th. And I was like, Ugh. perfect. So I, I'm going to get it in under the wire. You know what I mean? Like, wow. Good. So, uh, so that was the plan. And then the day that he signed it into law, I had the statement, like I had it ready to go and, and yeah, and we did it. And I just wanted I had never really particularly connected with the way abortion had ever been talked about in media. Um, I, I wasn't like, I, I, you and I are like different in Mm -hmm. the way that we talk about it too. Even, I mean, 
I wasn't really like a shout your abortion person. I was just like, this is a thing that I had and it makes me no better, no worse than anyone else. I don't like, I just, I want to just take, I just wanted to take away the stigma of it. I just, right. it saved my fucking life. I was 26 right. years old and I was mentally ill and I didn't have enough money. I didn't have uh, the familial support. I didn't have any support and I wasn't ready and I didn't want a child and I had dreams of my own and I just didn't want it. And so, you know, what I said, which was worded in my typical callous, loose way, <laughs> is that my abortion was the best decision I've ever made. And then I doubled down by saying it's actually the second best decision I ever made. Cutting bangs was the best decision I ever made. <laughs> Obviously, I got into some trouble with the people who are pro-birth, um, but uh, everyone else celebrated it. And I, I, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like it was such a bonding moment between me and women around the world. As you said, or not just women, people around the world, one in four women will have an abortion before the age of 40. That's a huge amount of people to be able to connect with. And I just deliberately, came out with not an element of like reticence or apology similarly right. to you I wasn't like sorry I did it because I had to it's just like I wanted, right. I wanted to no I just feel like yeah. I just feel like previously I had never felt like I wanted to you know the the other campaigns I had ever seen were like shout your abortion or like be loud and I was like I don't I just I'm like so sick of yeah I'm just sick of it even having to be a thing yeah. like we I know so many people who have had to had to have abortions because for met for legitimate medical reasons. Yeah. I've had friends who've like have had very wanted babies that they've had to, you know, that that they've lost, you know, like have lost and have had an abortion because like it was going to be them or the, you know, the fetus. This and I just feel like it's so reductive for people on the anti-abortion side to make it like, oh, you're a selfish actress who like just it wasn't convenient for you because you had dreams. Where it's like, by the way, I'm allowed to have fucking dreams and women are that allowed was to, my like, point, by the way. Yeah, exactly. I think it was important. I agree that we need to a remind people that abortions exist sometimes to save the life of the mother, but also not just the technical life. It saved my life in a different way. Right. It saved my life too. But in but like also, it doesn't even fucking matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter that I was 15. It doesn't matter that you were 26. Yeah. It doesn't matter the medical circumstances surrounding exactly. either of our abortions yeah. or the reason why we chose it. It's like, this is a part of women's healthcare. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, being, it, unless we have bodily autonomy, we will, we do not have equality. That's it, full stop. Like you cannot... You cannot tell me, sir, that I am equal to you yeah. if you do not think I should be able to decide what happens within my own person and my own body. Like that just because God, you, let's let's talk about what they what they say when you suggest, OK, well, all right. OK, I guess. Yeah, sure. Let's make abortions obsolete. So when boys turn 14 or 13, maybe, uh, they get a reversible vasectomy. That's government mandated, mm -hmm. uh, vasectomy that can be reversed, uh, when they're older. Um, so, but that's just mandated. Every boy has to do that when they're, when they're 12 or 13 years old. How, how's, how does that sound, sir? 
and they'll laugh at you and oh, you're fucking ridiculous. I'm, I'm ridiculous. Why? There's all those little babies swimming in there that could just come right on out and just meet and just become a baby. How am I ridiculous that I would tell you that that's what you have to do to your body in order to prevent this thing that you just say is unacceptable? If it's not a form of oppression, then what is it? Do you really, are you really trying to, you really are, you're all about the babies? Like they just can't, their messaging is not. No, I know. And these same people also want to eventually ban birth control. Do you know what I mean? Like there's just like, it's such a twisted, sick cycle. It's just a cycle of oppression. It's just a different, it's just any way to dismantle our rights. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me so frankly about that subject and also just kind of informing me on the system at play and how it affects other legislation because I didn't know that because I'm still new to America and learning how this system works over here. I really appreciate that and I loved hearing your stories from Hollywood. There was so much more to cover. I might even need to get you to come back someday because there's so <laughs> many more things for us to discuss. I would love to. I would I love know. that as well. Maybe you can come back again and we can talk about all the other stuff we were going to chat about. But yeah. I loved this and I adore you and I think you're such a breath of fresh air in this industry and in this world and I really... I really aspire to maintain authenticity the way that you have throughout your career. And I feel like you've been such a straight shooter for such a long time. And that doesn't go missed by many of us who look up to you because of that. So we're going to have another chat. That's it. I've got it on tape now. You've said you're coming back. Uh, I will let you go. But before you go, will you tell me, Busy Phillips, what do you weigh? Mm. I mean, I... I'm a good friend, mm-hmm. best friend, <laughs> a good best friend. I <laughs> On uh, and off screen. Yeah. On and off screen. Yeah. I'm a fighter and a survivor and a mother. I'm going to r- start rhyming. I'm about to start rhyming. <laughs> Are you um, rapping on my, uh, on I my was show? Like a, a mother and a lover. I mean, what is wrong with me? I can't. I am, you know, I like, like, so I'm just multitudes. Like there are just so many multitudes, very sensitive and, you know, also very goofy and, um, very fired up about so much all the time. And I'm very busy. Very busy. The busiest of all the busies. Um, And you weigh your magical intuition. I weigh my magical intuition for sure. I mean, maybe that's the 
I mean, maybe that's the thing I weigh the most, really. That was how I had my children. I mean, I just really, I just lean into that. Well, you just sort of jumped on, you jumped on that dick. You just had the, you had the, the magical just, intuition. You were like, tonight. Well, <laughs> I mean, I went off the pill <laughs> like <Okay>. first. <laughs> um, no, but I was just like, this is the time, you know, yeah. like I just knew. And yeah. And I just, I just like, felt, yeah, I just like knew that, you know, when, you know how, when women are trying to have babies or whatever and or they're pregnant newly and they're, they don't tell people until after the first trimester because they're like, what if something happens? Blah, yeah, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah. I started telling people when I was like legit two weeks pregnant with Birdie. And Mark was like, is that, are you supposed to do that? I feel like nobody ever does that. And I was like, oh no, this, this kid. Oh no, this kid's getting born. Like I, this kid's fine. Like so good. And she's going to be something else. I was right. Uh, <laughs> magical intuition. Magic. May we all strive to have your magical intuition and sense of self. Uh, I will. I'm going to go home and think about it and try and work on mine and find mine. Just have to think about like you got to. And I, I do think eating is part of it. You got to get in touch with that too because it's like, what is it that I want? What is it that I need? How much is enough? Like what? Like it all ties together, right? Like, right, but I, mean I just that- want cake, and I've been told that that's not good for me. I'm telling you, it's what I need and what I want. And whenever I try and tune in, and I'm like, um, cake. It's cake. Like it's cake. Do you, is that what you go for? You're, you're I'm cake. I'm a big fucking cake. I'm a cake and I'm donuts cookies. girls. Oh, I'm, I'm cookies. Not, I don't like the crunch. I want the. I want the schmush. Oh, I'm interesting. Schmush. Yeah, pizza and donuts and cake is that's what my interest is telling celiac. me. Oh, no, but it's gluten-free. It's at Los Angeles. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. No, I, I saw like that judgmental taste. face. I saw that judgmental face of like, well, it's not real cake. Is it? it is real cake, actually. And I have a oh, great Oh, no, time. are you kidding? <laughs> I love, no, I, I actually, there are some gluten-free, like my husband makes the best gluten-free chocolate chip cookies of all time. Well, I'll send and you my address. That's great. I, yeah, I'll send them to you. <laughs> and also gluten-free uh, waffles. Mm. that are incredible yeah well that's now what I'm gonna go home and eat because <laughs> you've said that <laughs> I, yeah I will I will have full-on uh some sort of full-on diabetes later but you know that's what my intuition intuition is telling me so I'm going to trust it the same way that it worked out for me in America cake is going to work out for me in my life I'm sure of it it kind of I think it does though I agree you know what I mean it makes like, me a nicer person I'm a nice I'm a nice guy because of all the cake yeah I'm just saying, I don't know, like you want some cake, eat some cake, you know, it's yeah. like Marie Antoinette. <laughs> um, anyway, I, uh, I love you loads and Thank I will, you. I'm going to see you so soon, sooner than any of my other guests. <laughs> okay, great. I'm excited. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Erin Finnegan and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson and the beautiful music that you're hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. I really appreciate it and it amps me up to bring on better and better guests. Lastly, at I Weigh, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iweighpodcast at gmail.com it's not in pounds and kilos so please don't send that it's all about your just you you know you've been on the instagram anyway and now we would love to pass the mic 
to one of our listeners. I weigh my journey to becoming more intuitive. Wayfair's biggest sale of the year is here. It's Wayday. Right now, you can score up to 80% off at Wayfair. Save on sofas and cookware, dining sets and rugs and beds, wall art, bar cards, floor lamps, sailing fans, home decor, all things outdoor, and way more. All up to 80% off right now. Plus, everything ships free. And flash deals are launching all Wayday long. Don't miss Wayfair's biggest sale of the year. Shop Wayday right now for May 6th at Wayfair.com. Wayfair, every style, every home. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.